Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you missed any of my talk radio breakfast show, don't worry. We've put some of the punchiest bits of this morning's show into a bite-sized podcast, the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. Enjoy. Right now, let's talk about that package of help for the self-employed uh, with my next guest, Labour MP and Shadow Chief Secretary to the Treasury, Peter Dowd. Good morning to you, Peter. Morning, Julia. Good morning. Well, I mean, it took a long time to come, more than a week after help was offered to businesses and employees. But uh, in the end, it was actually more generous than many had feared, uh, up to uh, 80% of profits, up, uh, up to uh, of profitable income rather than just turnover, up to £2,500 a month for those who make less than £50,000. Uh, a year, uh, getting three months cash, but not until June. It's available to 95% of uh, of those people who rely on their self-employed earnings for the majority of their income. It costs a total of £9 billion. Um, what did you make of the package announced by the Chancellor yesterday? Well, you know, in these circumstances, we've got to welcome anything that gives support to people who are in difficult and challenging Circumstances, so I'm not going to complain that the Chancellor has uh, has made these announcements. I think, as you've been saying on the programme, it doesn't come into effect till till June, and that's what two months away. I know that there's going to be provision for it to be backdated till March, but of course, people have got to get through this period of two months, and that that is going to be very very challenging for people to manage and to cope with. There's no question about that. And the danger is, is that how many people, how many companies, how many businesses, how many individuals uh, are going to be uh, badly affected by that? That's that's the real big question. And of course, inevitably in these sort of situations, the devil is in some of the detail. And I've been finding out from many people who ring me up, they, they, they are all almost like case examples, individual case examples. You have to try to work through you know, I'm I'm self-employed, X, Y, and Z, I do this, but will this impact upon me? Um, and that's almost inevitably going to happen in the next few days. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's certainly going to be very, very complicated indeed. And again, that, that's what we're told by the Treasury is the reason why it's taken so long uh, to come up with an explanation for this. Well, let's have a little listen to uh, Flick and Tom. They're in Warrington and they are self-employed and they've given Talk Radio their reaction to the news that they're not going to get any money at all until June. Maybe a little bit worrying. We're lucky we've got some savings that can keep us going till June but I'm aware that maybe if we're not in the front of the queue to get the money when they say it's going to come through that it might be too 
you know, it's sort of like, is that good enough? It's like damage limitation. Things will either be a lot worse and we'll have nothing or we'll have slightly less. And that seems to be the best option, which is very difficult. We have bills to pay and we have children to feed and we have food to buy. And I'm not sure how we will do that very comfortably, if at all comfortably. Indeed, and that's the predicament a lot of people are in, Peter, because lots of people just don't have the ability, especially with mortgages and children and uh, tight earnings, uh, to have the sort of savings in place to get through a period like this, and yeah. particularly such an extended period. Now, those people are entitled to claim universal credit, aren't they? But we know, of course, we've still got that five-week wait for those assessments to be made and those first payments to be made other than uh, uh, people asking for a loan. Yes, and I think that's another problem. I suppose there's a, I suppose there's a cumulative effect to the whole situation, isn't it? So in regards to people who are self-employed, it's not going to come through till June. They then have to apply for universal credit. Um, and the question asks, well, perhaps they could have been able to apply for universal credit some weeks ago. It's the cumulative effect, I think, in these sorts of situations on top of the insecurity people have and other members of their family might have as to whether they should be going to work, whether they should uh, stay at home and save lives. So it's not, it, it, it's, a, it's a sort of a mixture, it's a potpourri of issues that are beginning to impact upon people, um, which leads them to be even more stressed in terms of some, you know, one of the people they're talking about, childcare arrangements maybe, etc. So it's, it, as I say, without repeating, it's the cumulative effect of this. It's the psychological impact on people as well as the physical and the financial impact upon people uh, that uh, is, is really, really very challenging. Well, indeed. I mean, obviously, this isn't going to apply to those people who are earning more than £50,000 a year who should be in ability to actually uh, have some savings. But the key thing is, when this was announced, this was uh, announced by Rishi Sunak as people being paid on the basis of not their, their income, not their revenues, but their profits. Now, mm. uh, many self-employed people don't have many profits. Uh, they yeah. may well be paying themselves in different formats. Like This is going to penalise a lot of people who, I mean, you've used, you know, let me think, people can say accounting tricks, but, you know, if it's if it's legal, then it's legal um, in terms of the people being tax efficient uh, at a time when they're particularly people starting up new businesses. There may well be an awful lot of people who are eligible, but eligible for only a very small sum indeed. Well, that, that's right. And as I said before, I think the devil is in the detail on this. And every individual person who's self-employed will now be pouring over the detail. Uh, I'm not quite sure whether the government has put that full amount of detail out as yet, because it was only announced you know, pretty late-ish, I suppose, uh, in the, uh, late, eve, late, late, af- late afternoon. So I think there'll be lots of individual self-employed people trying to find out how it act- actually affects them on, you know, in terms of the pounds in the pocket. Um, so there'll be, I'm expecting today, as lots of colleagues will be, Lots of self-employed people being in touch about might it affect them, how will it affect them, will they get any support, and so it's sort of gearing up to that uh, for the day, I suspect now. Yeah, indeed. And in terms, of what do you make also of the uh, decision to, to all intents and purposes, freeze the housing market? I would have thought that uh, this was one of the announcements that's probably not necessary on the basis that I, I can't imagine many people are able to go ahead with lots of people perhaps not knowing where their future income is going to be. Uh, mortgages may be on hold. Uh, lenders said they've extended law, uh, mortgage offers for up to three months to allow people to move at a later date. Some people, of course, may have been desperate for that move for a new job. Those new job may now have fallen through. Um, do you think it's the right thing to do? 
Well, I think, uh, again, the devil's in the detail because, again, I've had people being in touch with me saying, oh, I was due to move on the 9th of April or the 10th of April, the 15th of April or next week. What do I do? Because they can't afford to pay two mortgages. They have got a plan to move on. They've given notice in relation to uh, their current um, rented accommodation. So, again, I think in that regard, anything that helps the market and the flexibility is welcome but as ever the devil i'm repeating myself the devil's in the detail of how it's going to impact upon individual people and remember there's also an issue there are going to be people moving all over the country so it's not as if it's you know i'm moving up the road a mile or two or you know across the city for a few miles there are going to be people impacted upon this by you know because they're moving jobs from bristol to southampton or vice versa. So it's all those very specific uh, situations that we have to be cognizant of in this situation. Yeah, indeed. And just finally, uh, did you take part in the applause for the NHS last night at eight o'clock? Yes, but there weren't many people around me as it happened. So yes, and I and I, I welcome my family working in the NHS and I worked in the NHS for many years. So I was more than happy to be part of that. Lovely. Um, clapping Thank- and celebration. Thank you very much indeed, Peter Dowd, Labour MP, Shadow Chief Secretary to the Treasury. Talk Radio Breakfast with Julia Hartley-Brewer and The Times. Be well informed. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Well, one man who's trying to be crunching the numbers, he's not a medic, but he is a statistician, is Tom Pike. He's a professor of microengineering at Imperial College London, and he joins us now. Good morning to you. 
Hi there. Uh, good morning. Now, uh, you've released uh, some new figures, some new research that uh, that you've done last night uh, uh, as a statistician, looking at uh, the the likely death rate uh, in uh, in our country and various other countries. And uh, in simple terms, for us non mathmos can you uh, explain what you have found? Yes. So um, this started about a, a, a week ago, looking at the growth in the numbers, particularly the deaths, which are the most reliable way of tracking the spread of the virus. And um, what we have seen in all countries is that every day you see a certain percentage increase in the death rate. Um, And that so you will see an extra 10% on top of the deaths that you have every day. Now, if it just keeps on going with that same value all the time, that is an exponential. That means that eventually everyone will be infected. Now, that's not going to happen. And certainly with social distancing, we expect that growth to drop off. So um, I started looking at what had happened in China, and there is a pattern of how that growth fell away over time. And over when they first introduced the social distancing, I mean, that was a real lockdown, uh, much more aggressive than we've had Um, in the UK. When they introduced that back in January, over the next four weeks, the growth in the number of deaths went down and down and down until it it went down from 30% down to about just above 0%. There's hardly any growth in the deaths now. And at that point, essentially, that particular epidemic has been tamped down. Um, When I did the same analysis looking at other countries, the UK, Italy, France, they were following the same pattern. Not exactly the same uh, numbers, but the same pattern. And so on the basis of that, you can feed in what happened in China and try and predict what will happen in the UK, in France and in Italy. And that's how we've come up with the numbers. So the, the, the most surprising uh, result in a way is that social distancing seems to be having the same effect in all of these countries, even though clearly we're in a much more relaxed setting than they've uh, had to suffer in Wuhan. And what you've discovered is that you, well, you're looking at the likely numbers. And again, these, these are going to change every day. The analysis, the numbers would change in terms of predictions every day as new information is fed into yeah. uh, to, to your, your calculator. Uh, but you are looking at uh, a total a death toll uh, in Italy of uh, an estimate. Bear in mind, this is an estimate as of today, uh, which is of 28,000 in Spain. 46,000 in France, 18,000, USA currently 28,000, but the UK just 5,700. Now, that is way below some of the estimates we've had from, say, uh, Professor Neil Ferguson at Imperial College uh, from the SAGE group suggesting we could be under 20,000 deaths. And I think, look, we all agree every single death uh, is a a tragedy for the family and for that person themselves. But uh, 5,700, definitely an awful lot better uh, than uh, the the sort of 250,000, the 500,000 people we're talking about in January or February. Yeah, well, the, the, the big numbers, um, and, and Neil Ferguson's work, I think, but there's no contradiction by the numbers we're coming up with and Neil's work. First of all, the half a million is if we did not put in any social distancing. Yeah. So the most important thing is to get the social distancing in and to get it in early. And we could have done it a little bit earlier, um, and we would have probably been able to save a few 
um, that would have had an effect. And that might have, uh, uh, that certainly looks like that that helped in South Korea. But what we have introduced at the moment is being successful. And in fact, at the lowest, um, the lowest numbers that Neil came up with is 5,600, which is just about the same as what we uh, are seeing here. That's and again, very interesting. Yeah, so we're looking at Wuhan as kind of like the most rigorous lockdown that you can have. And we are seeing that we're on a similar trajectory to that. Of course, we are assuming that we keep on that trajectory. And so, this, but this is the key, isn't it, is that people listening to this might think, oh, well, there's not that many people going to die. Yeah. I can relax. No. <laughs> the only reason we may hit, and again, may, it's an estimate, hit that sort of low level of death. And bearing in mind, a lot of those people already elderly or very physically vulnerable anyway, and very sadly may have died of other causes in the next year or so, which is something that Professor Ferguson pointed out yesterday in evidence, is, is actually that if we continue the social distancing, if we continue the lockdown, if we all do our bit... Yeah, I, I think one way of looking at this is, you know, you jump out of the plane, you pull the cord on your parachute, and it slows you all down. You're way above the ground, and you're going slowly. At that point, you don't cut the ropes to your parachute. <laughs> That's not the, 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 the way to go forward. So the fact that we are on a more gentle trajectory to the ground is relying on us maintaining the effects that we're having from social distancing. And I think that that is going to be absolutely key for all of the countries. And I think what, what we are seeing is in the most Western developed countries where social distancing has been effectively uh, imposed, and that unfortunately is not necessarily going to be the case in all countries in the future. And we can see numbers going up in other countries. They're not high enough for us to be able to do a similar analysis right at the moment but I think we should all be concerned that we could get secondary breakouts happening where they're not going to be contained. And the other aspect is all we're looking at is the first wave because yeah. that's all that they've seen in Wuhan. When you get a second wave, you've got to put that parachute on again um, and you've got to slow it all down again. So, again, that is not uh, dissimilar to uh, Neil's paper that came out now nearly two weeks ago, which was saying that we may have to go through this cycle of relaxing as, as, um, as, as we seem to have it under control. And then as soon as it starts to creep up again, reimposing some of these uh, social distances. We, we, are, we are in for the long haul. Well, Professor Tom Pike, so appreciate you joining us. Professor of Microengineering at Imperial College London uh, with those statistics. Talk Radio Breakfast with Julia Hartley-Brewer and The Times. Know your times. Right now, then, let's talk about what is happening while people are in lockdown. It's all very well if you're uh, uh, with your family and you're in a loving relationship. You might get niggly with each other every now and then, but otherwise, you know, things are good. However, in many relationships where there's already domestic abuse, this is now a very dangerous time for an awful lot of women and children, and indeed some men as well. Let's talk to Lisa King. She's Director of Communications at The Refuge, the National Domestic Abuse Charity, and joins us now. Good morning to you, Lisa. Good morning. Um, I have to say, I mean, I, I feel so lucky to be at home with, you know, a, a loving husband and a loving daughter and, and hope we're, we're looking after each other and, and trying to do the best for each other. For a lot of people right now, um, it, it, this is a really scary time anyway, but it's their, their home is not a safe place. No, how right you are. Um, and before the COVID um, virus, you know, domestic abuse was and is the biggest issue affecting women and children. 
Um, before we were hit with lockdown, you know, one in nearly one in three women experiences domestic abuse at some time in her lifetime, and a staggering two women are killed every week. Um, and that situation is now obviously dramatically um, uh, concerning as a result of many families being in isolation and unable to leave and you know seek support if, if they need to. Um, and this is this is the thing, isn't it? It's people who are frustrated, people are stuck at home. Or for a lot of people, let's face it, off licence is still open, and a lot of us perhaps are having enjoying that glass of uh, wine or a beer in the evening. People uh, are, are stuck at home with alcohol, often in cramped conditions. Maybe young children, you know, whining and needing help. Um, it, this is going to put a lot of pressure on a lot of relationships. How can how can we make sure that we're getting help to the people who really need it? I think it's really important to understand that domestic abuse happens, you know, all year round. Um, it doesn't. It happens as much as, you know, in when somebody is sober, as when they might be having a drink. These problems that we're experiencing now certainly exacerbate the problem, but they are not the root cause of domestic abuse, which is all very much around power and control. And for those who are experiencing domestic abuse in the country today, Refuge certainly wants them to know that our services have remained open. All our refuges are running. And we run the National Domestic Abuse Helpline, which runs 24 hours every single day and is there as a resource. I'd like to read the number out when yes, that's appropriate, please do. if I may. Um, well, that is a free phone number on 0808 247. And we also have some fantastic digital resources. There's the nationaldahelpline.org.uk website. And in there, if women are able to make contact with us because using the phone is challenging, we have a, a contact form that women can access where they can tell us to save time, but we can call them back so that we can give them assistance and support. And of course, anyone in immediate danger, and this is a life and death issue, please call 999. And if you are unable to speak, use the silent solution of pressing 55 so that there is an emergency response sent immediately to your location. Um, what do you think of the uh, suggestions some people have made that actually we've got hotels right now that are mostly empty, no one's travelling, no, no tourists in the country, that actually this would be a time when perhaps women could escape and be put up in hotels uh, for free so they, uh, when we know there's a massive shortage of refuge places, that this is a time that they do need uh, to find a safe place? Absolutely. And as we go through kind of and, and come out the other side of lockdown, we anticipate the calls to our helpline increasing yet further as women are able to then make that call and make that move if they feel able to. Um, when bed spaces, as you say now, are already at a premium, what will happen with the increase in demand that we are anticipating? Hotels could be a solution. We are looking at options ourselves. Um, into the future to consider that scenario. But safety is the primary consideration. Um, and at all times, you know, our, our refuges are confidential locations. That confidentiality is never compromised. So there's an awful lot of work that has to be done to ensure that hotels offer similar safety and similar confidentiality for women. Um, and they're, 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 those are matters to consider. And it's, it's not as easy as just accessing a hotel at this stage, but we are all working to try and find those solutions because you're right so much more needs to be done and we need to see a very strong and robust response from government yeah. and funding to help us cope with this unexpected crisis situation that we find ourselves in in this country. Absolutely. That said, I also think there is also a time when perhaps, you know, a lot of people stay and there's not there's not the impetus to leave because people are scared of leaving and it'll get better and he'll improve. And they're like, maybe this is a wake up call to an awful lot of women and men in this situation that, you know what, if your if your home is not a safe place at a time like this, you, you need to adjust your life and you need to leave and you need to get somewhere safer and be with someone who does treat you as you deserve to be treated. Uh, 
give you that number again, 0808 2000 24-7. Thanks for listening to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and give me a good review. And don't forget to catch me on the Talk Radio Breakfast Show every weekday from 6.30 until 10. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.